Hey friends, welcome back to another week as we dive back into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This week in pandemic life, my family hit the point of boredom where we decided we were going to have a portrait drawing contest where we would take time to draw each other. It's a great activity, something I highly don't recommend if you value your self-esteem on any level whatsoever. Uh, but we chose each other, so I drew a portrait of my daughter Callie, my daughter Callie drew a portrait of my wife Robin, and my wife Robin drew a portrait of me. We finished the time, and I actually was feeling pretty good about my drawing, that uh, the quality of it was top-notch. And then I looked at my daughter Callie's drawing, and then I looked at my wife's drawing of me, and uh, I have an easy time saying that mine was clearly the best. But the ultimate test of a portrait is not how good it looks. Right? The ultimate test of a portrait is holding it up next to the real thing, like a mirror, to see whether or not it matches. My family decided that my wife had won. Thanks a lot, guys. Family and parenting, uh, thankfully, can be such a joy at times. I have three daughters, which means I'm part-time taxi driver, part-time counselor, part-time Judge Judy. Early on as a parent, this meant oftentimes just resolving conflicts between my girls, telling them what was right. Callie, we don't take our sister's toys. Sophie, we don't hit. Mickey, we don't stand in the refrigerator. That's actually a real one that we had to use. So side note, in the comments here, I want to hear the strangest parenting advice or rules you felt like you never expected that you would have to give. So let's hear from those. But the hope is early on that you're resolving these conflicts by just telling them what to do, but that that's not going to last forever. The hope is that later on, your kids will be able to decide what's right for themselves. And so the path to get them there is this path in which we try to help teach our kids how to think. So we end up saying things like, I know you took the toy because you wanted it, but do you want to be a family where it's okay for just anyone to take anything from somebody else anytime they want it? Or, I know you hit her because she stuck her tongue at you, but do we want to live in a world where people respond with violence every time they're frustrated? Or, I know you want to stand in the refrigerator, but do you prefer a family that doesn't get sick from germs or that does get sick from germs? Right? It's all about teaching them how to think. What you're really doing is giving them what I call a values mirror. It's a clear picture of the real deal of moral behavior. Then any choices they have to make in life become like a portrait drawing that they're making. And they can hold those choices as a portrait up to the values mirror and see how well it matches and make their decisions from there. So this is actually exactly what Paul is doing in the middle chapters of 1 Corinthians and in the middle verses of his summary of the letter that he gives us in chapter 13. To review, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth, which is a young church out on the fringes uh, of the Jewish world at that time. This church was already experiencing some open conflict that threatened their ability uh, to have peace and grace in their community. And last week, we saw that the problem was their general preferences and priorities that were driving wedges between them. But this week, we're going to take a peek through chapters 5 through 11. And here we find Paul diving into specific conflicts that he's hearing about. 
And like a parent, he's not just arbitrating or trying to resolve who's right and who's wrong and what should be done, but he's teaching the people of the church how to love each other in a way that will help them to resolve their own conflicts moving forward. Paul, in these passages, is giving the people a values mirror to hold up to their current reality to see what matches up and what needs to go. So to find this mirror, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So here we're seeing a sort of values mirror that Paul is giving to the people very clearly. Paul's saying, if whatever you're doing doesn't look like this, then you've missed the mark. Regardless of how fun it is, regardless of how much you like it, regardless of how long you've been doing it, if it isn't patient, if it isn't kind, if it dishonors others, if it doesn't protect, if it doesn't produce hope, if it doesn't persevere, then it is not love. Paul's saying, here's your values mirror. Let's go to work. So with this mirror in hand, let's walk through the issues we find Paul helping the people process in the middle of the letter. And as we do, I think we'll find two main categories of caution. First, we see in chapter 5 of this letter, Paul starts by dealing with an issue he says he's heard a lot about, the issue of a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. Let's find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says this, It's actually reported to me that there is sexual immorality among you, of a kind that doesn't even occur among pagans. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you guys are proud about it. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? All right, so here he comes to the people and he's dealing with something that people have written him about, the people have sent messengers about or whatever. He's dealing uh, with the people on something they're talking about that he's hearing. And it's not just in this situation, it's not just that a man is sleeping with his mother-in-law, but he comes and he says, and you're proud about it. There's something else going on here that the people are proud of in their interpretation and in their understanding of what's going on here. What he's saying is that on some level, the people thought that allowing this to continue to go on showed somehow how good they were being. And in a way, it was, right? Because according to their religious traditions, uh, many that we find in the book of Leviticus, they would have required them to take action against this man and woman uh, by stoning them to death for their crimes against the husband and father. And so, yeah, when the people didn't do that, when the people just kept this couple uh, around in the church, uh, on some level, that's surely a step in the right direction to not respond with that violent judgment. 
But the problem is it's being celebrated as if the full extent of love is simply not harming others for their actions. The confusion here is this, that too often we set out to build a loving community without really understanding the fundamental natures of love or community. And so into this confusion, Paul responds with his first caution. Love does not mean doing nothing. For Paul, he's saying, take this situation here, what these people are going through, and hold up the mirror of love that I give you to all involved in this situation. Right? The mirror says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love protects. I mean, when we hold this situation side by side with the mirror, we see there's clearly a mismatch in the response. Because here in this situation, there is a husband and father that's being dishonored. There's a guy that's not being protected by his community. Actually, doing nothing is not creating a loving community for that man, for that victim. Paul continues with his instruction. In chapter 5, verse 12, he says this. He says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? But are you not supposed to judge those inside the church? Now, often we see the word judge refer to forming an opinion about the character of someone just based on an action or a couple of actions. And while that's something that we surely should avoid, making character judgments on somebody just based on one or two things, here what he's talking about when the word judge is discerning whether something is good or not. And Paul is saying we definitely should be discerning whether the actions of our community are loving or not. If love is important, don't do nothing. Hold up the mirror to the situation and then help your friends move forward and change. What does this look like for us at South Bend City Church today in 2020? Well, we're not one of those church communities that intends as a church to police each other's lives. But we also believe that creating a loving community means that where we have relationship, we choose to help each other walk forward into lives that are more patient, more kind, lives that are not dishonoring of others, lives that are not self-seeking, and so on. So here, when we see a friend in our community who has entered into a pattern of destruction, maybe that's substance abuse, Maybe they keep finding themselves diving into destructive relationships or being the cause of destructive relationships. Maybe we see in our friends a willingness to get ahead at the expense of others who become victims. When we see these patterns of destruction, we love them and we create a loving community by trying to have a conversation about it and move forward. Now, my call to action here is not that we should sit down right now and spend our time racking our brains thinking of who in our friend community and our church community do we need to sit down and have a talk with about their actions. Rather, the action here, I think, is that we prepare ourselves for what love means 
so that when we see our friends and our community in the midst of destructive patterns that don't look like love, that we're ready when the moment arises and we're willing to have the conversations. And on the other side of that, may we be people in a community that is ready to receive the conversations we need to have when people come to us and talk to us about our blind spot areas that may be leading to destructiveness or a lack of protection and safety for others in our community. All right, let's get back to the rest of Paul's caution by looking at the next few chapters. In chapter six, we see Paul talking about people who are suing each other in the church without trying to work it out first. In chapter eight, we see a conversation about people, some people eating food that is has been sacrificed to pagan idols, while others are deeply offended by it, and yet the action goes on. And in chapter 11, we see that people are coming to the communion dinner table, which for them was a full dinner, uh, and they're eating all the food before everybody has gotten a chance to eat so that some end up full and some walking away still hungry and unable to participate. Now, as we hold up the value mirror to these situations, it's obvious that these, these uh, situations, these behaviors are problematic, right? None of them exhibit kindness. They all dishonor others. They're all self-seeking. So why are they even being defended? Why is this even an issue that needs Paul's instruction? Well, one word, freedom. Freedom. You see, our faith story tells us that Jesus came to reveal that God is accessible to everybody without all these religious hoops to jump through. Paul himself teaches us that Jesus has set us free from the law. This is big news. This idea is huge for them. This idea is that we are no longer obligated to follow the religious rules and law because Jesus set us free. I call this idea the Jesus Amendment. And people get so, found, so excited about their newfound Jesus Amendment rights, right? Hey, Jesus said, I don't have to do anything. Jesus said so. Paul said so. I stand on my Jesus Amendment rights to be able to do whatever I want to do because God says I don't have to jump through hoops. Well, the problem is that this freedom started to become the highest priority. It resulted in what I call a both-and relationship to love. That I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do what I'm free to do, and I want to love my neighbor. Or I want to eat whatever food I want to eat, and I also want to love those who are offended by it. Or I want to eat until I'm full at these communion dinners, and I want to love all those people who don't get any food and walk away hungry. All these things as if love is something extra that we just do alongside all the other things that we really want to do. It would be like your neighbor saying, I want to both build a giant manure fertilizer pile along my fence and I want to be a loving neighbor to you. As if the one doesn't affect the other. Last year, as a staff team, we went on a team retreat, and we were able to go to a pretty cool zoo. And we were walking around the zoo, and I kept seeing these people come at us, 
and they were all wearing these matching fluorescent orange shirts. And I, I figured that it was some sort of family reunion or team retreat, right? Uh, but it made me laugh when I got up close and I saw the shirts because these fluorescent orange shirts that all these people were wearing uh, said, Jones Manufacturing loves its employees. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, not if you make them wear those shirts, you don't. Right? You can't say that you love your employees and make them do something that people traditionally hate the experience of at the same time. And that's what Paul's saying here is that's not how love works. Which brings us to his second caution he provides in this text. It's that you can't have both not love and love at the same time. You can't behave however you want and still consider yourself loving to those who are hurt by those actions. And so, both in chapters 5 and in chapter 10, Paul has this extensive conversation about rights and love. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and 24, Paul writes this. He says, I have a right to do anything, you say. Sure, but not everything is beneficial. I have a right to do anything. Okay, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Paul is saying that just because we have the right to do it, doesn't mean it's the loving, beneficial, helpful thing to do. And if you hold up the mirror of love to the whole picture, it doesn't end up matching what love looks like. If it doesn't match what love looks like according to the mirror, you can't just add a little bit of kindness on top and fix everything and pretend that everything's okay. So what does this mean for us? As we, South Bend City Church, desire to be a community of grace and peace. Well, our right to freedom doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility to live in a way that is patient and kind. Our rights and freedoms don't mean that we don't have to avoid dishonoring others or refrain from seeking our own interests at the expense of others or to make sure that we protect the most vulnerable among us. So how does this play out? Friends, honestly, like the easiest example to think about right now in this time, in this pandemic, is masks. Do you have a right not to wear them? Absolutely. Do you have the freedom to choose to not to wear one? Yeah. But if they protect others, and we see from the mirror that we hold up that love protects, then let's do it. Let's wear the masks. And I know there's conspiracy theories that disagree with the science and say that masks don't actually accomplish anything. Fine. Even if the masks only serve to help people feel safer, love is patient. Love is self-seeking. Let's do it anyway. Another example is how we as a church community think about drinking. I don't know if you know this, but our table groups which are these kind of small communities that we uh, get together with to, to walk through life with, each of our table communities start out as dry communities. The reason for this is that not everybody has a safe relationship with alcohol. 
And often what that means is our friends who have backgrounds of addiction find themselves outside of community as they continually have to self-select out of events to make sure they keep themselves safe. Which means that they end up missing many social community opportunities and end up feeling like a more outsider, distant member of the community. So the question is, do we have the freedom to drink? Yes, absolutely. But we also have the responsibility to protect each other, which is why for our table groups, they all start dry until we can have enough conversations and get to know each other enough to know whether exercising our rights and our freedoms and the things that people might enjoy get in the way of feeling of loving and protecting and serving those who might be vulnerable in our community. What else can you think of? What are the ways that we might see the needs around us and sacrifice a little bit of our freedom and rights for the sake of loving those around us? So there we have it, Paul's two cautions. One, love doesn't mean doing nothing. And two, love is the whole picture, not a both and proposition. And when we're in doubt, we face a situation, we don't know what the right thing to do is. May we pull out this passage and hold it up like a mirror to our current predicament. In the decision we're making, is there patience? Is there kindness? Are we honoring others? Are we not seeking our own interests at the expense of others? Are we seeking to protect? May these questions drive us to be a more loving community of grace and peace. I love you all. May your week be full of hope until we get to see you again. Grace and peace be with you.